You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another breakneck edition of Global Trade This Week. Hi, Pete Mento. Who are you? That's my buddy, Doug Draper. I don't know if you're on that side. Yeah. If yeah. You're on that side, if you're up here. Yeah. Over here. Yeah. yeah to your uh, uh, stage as always, right. is his sidekick, Troy. And uh, we're brought to you by our dear friends at Cap Logistics. Doug, how you doing, pal? I am doing great. It's a beautiful day in Colorado. Ready for the show. Couldn't be better. Now, are we are we getting ready now that August is halfway? At what point? Are we talking like mid September? You start to go out and buy new snow shovels. Get get our no. smelt ready. No, um, that's. No, that's it's a diff- different world out here. It could be uh, if the sun is out, um, mm-hmm. you know, sun's out, guns out, sun's out, fun is out. And as long as the sun's out, the snow melts. So, you know, I'd probably say and people in Colorado are going to say I'm a moron, even though I've lived here for 20 years. November, right? There'll be a freak storm in October, but it'll go away. So November ish, I think. What about you guys? Like next month? Uh, no. Um, we are having a miserable summer and a drought on top of it. So it has been upper 90s, 100 degrees now for the last couple of weeks. And we're finally going to get some relief. Um, it's going to be the 80s. But we usually get our first real snowstorm um, end of October, early November. But ski season for us usually starts at some point after Thanksgiving. We're, we're very fortunate if our icy, crappy skiing conditions are are settled by the beginning of December. So that's yeah. that's good for us. When do you guys usually start that's, to yeah. up there and start Resorts open right around yeah, Thanksgiving ish. Yeah, Everybody's trying to so, push the envelope a little bit, but uh yeah. yeah. Doug, I, I went skiing up there with my dear dear friend Sean Cole. Uh, our friend Mark Saxon was fundraiser. Um and I lost a lot of weight. I was feeling really good about myself. I was you know I felt like I was in really good shape and it took me all about 30 minutes of skiing at altitude and that powder. I felt like somebody was sitting on my chest. It was, I was not ready. I was mm-hmm. not ready. And that's, that's a level of athleticism I did not, I had not attained yet. That's some real hard work, pal. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's fun. You can get that's out there. Just imagine. Ch- yeah. Chasing a teenager. Hey, Dad, watch this. And he'll do a helicopter and land it, no problem. And I'm like, hey, son, watch this. And I'm just in a pile of mess yeah. um, buried, yeah. buried in the snow. So uh, uh, anyway. I, I, I loved it. You know, New Hampshire is beautiful, and I'm very proud of, of this state. But there's, it's not even comparable. Like, the, the ugliest thing I saw in Colorado was better than the prettiest thing I've seen here. So it was, mm. um, it was humbling. And it was just so much of it. I, I loved every second of it. If you guys, again, I'll say it again, Doug. I'm, I'm tired of saying it. If, if you had an ocean, I would be. I would yeah. be tomorrow if you guys just had an ocean. It is dry. Then you'd it be, is dry here. You'd be Vancouver, right? If you had an ocean. And I don't want to live yeah. in Canadians. So. Ish, ishity. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool, man. So kick it off, pal. What do you got for us? You're going first this week. All right. Yeah, we had some great stories before we jumped on the. Uh, on the, the broadcast yeah, here. My um, ass whipped mostly. That's what those great yeah, stories yes, were. That's true. <laughs> 
So we're going to, we're going to keep it on that side of the pond. And I just um, saw something the other day and he, here's my, um, here's my title. It took me a while to think of this one, but it's from a quote from Shaun of the Dead, which is a movie back in the 2004-ish. And, uh, and the line was, uh, Let, let's go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and just wait for this stuff to blow over. And I was, yeah. yes. Um, and that's related to a port strike that is pending over at Felixstowe Port. Um, eight days. Uh, basically, it's union. They want more money, 1,900-ish uh, members. It's the United Union. And of course, they're saying, uh, which could be valid, I'm not getting into the details of what the strike is all about, but obviously cost of living is going up. They want uh, more money. Ports are making a killing from their perspective and they, they want their fair share. So the funny thing about this one, Pete, is that they're going on strike, but in classic um, uh, uh, way, they're letting you know when they're going on strike. Right. So they're saying, hey, we're going to go on strike from the 21st of August through like the 29th of August. And um, and I'm just like, what? So first of all, that was baffling to me that I'm going to tell you when I'm going to strike. And it's not like tomorrow. It's like two and a half weeks out. So there's an opportunity to come up with contingency plans. But my question was, here's a strike in Felix, though, very large port, um, if not the largest, second largest in, uh, in the U.K., is this going to have any ripple effects across the global supply chain? And after um, about five seconds of analysis, the answer is no. Um, I think there'll be some impact there to uh, the United Kingdom. But for the most part, hey, Pete, here's what I'm going to do two weeks from now. And if you don't like it, you have a lot of time to make a contingency plan. Yeah. So um, I I'm not sure what the impact is going to be. Super polite way to, uh, to handle a strike. Um, but you know what? Well-behaved women seldom make history from that old saying. And so a, a strike that they're telling you about two weeks in advance, I'm not sure what the implications are going to really be. Um, so I, I guess that that's my whole take. I saw that just today when I was coming in. I'm like, what are they doing? So I don't think it's big enough to really impact you and I outside of, uh, of the U.K., and uh, the diversion may be a little bit more difficult because trying to divert into – uh, the European Union, and then bump it across with uh, Brexit. Uh, Pre-Brexit may be a little bit easier. Post-Brexit, it's probably best to, to wait it out if that's your contingency plan versus uh, document flow and try to manage it. So anyway, there is a port strike coming in Felixstowe. I'm not sure we're even going to know what's going to happen, and I don't think the impact on the global supply chain is going to be much of anything. Well, uh, it's like the hits just keep on coming, right? So we've had an ongoing... Port disruption issue because of labor in Germany for some time. Uh, we have congestion on top of congestion on top of congestion going on in the U.S. East Coast because of everyone kind of hedging their bets, I guess, and being worried about what's going on on the West Coast, where we hear positive feedback, but nothing's done yet. And now, in Great Britain, we're hearing that we're going to be having a very pleasant strike, everyone. So just, just do carry on. But in a few weeks' time, we'll be taking a few days off. Now, having worked in those ports, I can tell you that it's not the way that those ladies and gentlemen speak. But it's, it's fun to think that. Uh, that's, those ports are pretty tough, man. Those are pretty rough places. 
And uh, you wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of those 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 ladies and gentlemen. They are hardworking, blue collar lot, professionals. Felix knows hell of a good boy. Now, uh, like it or not, this is a tough time to do it, and you're you're talking about Pete. So they're just like any other country. They're trying to get everything they can in now to prepare for the holiday season. So it's not ideal. But I agree with you in that they're an island, you know. So, just how how much impact can it have on the global economy? It's questionable. And with so many other ways to get product into the country, it's not like it's the only way that it can happen. We do have channels. There are other ways things can get back and forth. And you know, it's, a, it's a country of only, I think, this is where Keenan, it'd be great if Keenan could send us producer notes in years, but... You know, I mean, I think, I think there are only like 100 million people in, in England, I think, the whole country, maybe not even that many. So how much yeah. disruption could it have in the whole global economy? Uh, but then you hear about other port strikes on top of that, right? So there's, there's been rumors that something's going to happen in Baltimore for some time now. Uh, there's been talks about driver disruptions in places like Savannah and New York. It, it's just, it's another thing piling on top of another thing. I think in pockets, it's just a pain mm. in our ass, man. But... You got these ocean carriers putting out new guidance. It's like, oh, you know, we're going to make even more money than we thought we were. <laughs> you know, I mean, what are these guys supposed to think? It's like, where, where's our slice of the pie? And as the global economy begins to correct itself, I think they're, they're beginning to say this is maybe our last chance to get a correction to what's going on with us financially mm-hmm. while, while these folks have been breaking in the cash the past couple of years. So. As a guy that negotiates for a living, you can't blame him for trying to get one shot at it for things certain like that. Sure. Yeah. No, don't blame him at all. I just think it's comical that they're giving us plenty of heads up. Absolutely. Very um, British. It's very, very English. Yes. Very English. Okay. Very, very polite. Very polite. All right, my friend, you roll it. What's your first topic today? Yeah. So um, it'd be nice if we could just not talk about China for a little while. But here we are. Um, our Secretary of State decided to take. Again, one of those planned, unplanned, sort of like this British court strike. It uh, wasn't on the itinerary, but everyone seemed to know that she was heading to Taiwan to give a prize to their prime minister. And um, this, this really angered the uh, country of China. So there is a, a two-nation policy where the United States does not officially recognize Taiwan as a nation. During the, the Chinese Revolution, uh, she got checked, went to Taiwan. They've been operating as a shadow government. China, for those of you who don't spend your whole life following this up, China has always considered it a renegade uh, country. They can go back and take it by force anytime they want. It's theirs. It's their, uh, it's their nation state. Um, they, they get very angry if anybody recognizes it as a different nation. So over the course of the past couple of days, they have been running full-on live-fire military exercises. We've done everything, but everything including flying planes right up along its borders, shooting missiles over it. They've done uh, simulated blockades. They've shown that they are very advanced from the last time they pulled this stuff if they were going to actually pull full-on invasion of Taiwan. There are a lot of political reasons why you would do this. Xi Jinping is about to put himself in a position to either run for another unprecedented term as president, which was not necessarily in the Constitution, or to name himself president for life. And he needs to make himself look strong. Because right now, there are questions about the strength of his leadership. 
And there are people who are worried that he may actually try to invade and um, make full, true ownership of Taiwan. So why does this matter to us as much as it does? There's a, a bunch of reasons. But one, of the, one of the biggest is that our president has said that we would come to the aid of Taiwan. Uh, that's one. The second is the lion's share of the microchips that we use in everything from our phones and our toasters to our military equipment come from Taiwan. And although we've taken great steps to try to make our own semiconductors, it could take up to a decade for us to get any momentum on building our own. So we're, we're pretty far behind the ball here. And then the third is the freedom of the seas. Much like Great Britain, the United States has established itself as a maritime power. The entire point of the United States Navy is the projection of power at sea for the free movement of goods. The, the last thing that you want is to have an American aircraft carrier group parked off of your coast. The Chinese are super proud of this new aircraft carrier that they built. And, and you can you can go on you know you can go on any any news outlet right now, and there's two things they love to talk about. The first is China's new aircraft carrier is military superiority. It's a floating piece of shit, Doug. It's like it's, it's 1970s technology, and the second are hypersonic missiles, which you know very impressive. But the United States is like we're doing that too. In a couple of weeks, we just we made. We, we got them. We can do them. You know, uh, there's nothing really that's all that impressive. Our our aircraft carriers are floating, ass whipping machines, and our ability to own the seas is something that is um, is in, that's undisputed. There are new Russian and new Chinese nuclear submarines, and oh, I'm making a big deal out of those. They are decades, not a decade, decades behind the technology. That the United States is currently currently deployed. Not even the new stuff that's coming out. Currently deployed, underway at sea with the boats that we have underwater. So our ability to own the seas is a big deal. It comes into question though. If you've got a shoot war around Taiwan, you've just cut out massive parts of how we move cargo through the Pacific. And what is the safe passage of sea? Not only that, but you're talking about not having access to Taiwan and its technology. And also, China. If China decides to invade Taiwan, the global pressure to sanction China will be immense. And you're going to have a lot of countries who will not necessarily disagree with that move because they're worried about what would happen in China. You're going to have European countries, you're going to have South American countries, and many Asian countries who will side with China. And you will have a lot of finger pointing about who's right and who's wrong and you may have countries that find themselves unwilling to sanction China. You'll have a lot of folks who aren't necessarily on the same page. And you'll also have people who are unable to actually pass through those straits. It's going to be a logistical, economic, international relation. If it happens. And I'm going to say that there's a real good chance that it could. There's a really, really good chance that it could. It's almost like... Uh... China, they couldn't have written a better script for themselves, to be honest with you. I mean, the turmoil, the chaos, the potential, the flex of, uh, of, of power, and the potential uh, polarization of other countries across the, uh, across the world. I mean, geez, it's almost like they were great and excited that Pelosi was over there, right? I mean, all the things, I was just thinking about that when you're talking. 
you're scripting out a better scenario for them to be positioned in, um, you know, in, in, in the, uh, the trade wars out there. So pretty, pretty interesting. I don't think that they're upset that she uh, made a visit over there. They may show it, they may say it, but it's all about positioning and where they're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those um, unnecessary miracles that came across their way. And what do you do if they actually go through with it? I don't think that this is necessarily you're politically in a position where many Americans wouldn't even care. Most Americans don't understand the problem, uh, let alone care. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Doug, that's a weird position. We'll see where we are in a few months. I mean, we do have a prediction show coming up, but I'm beginning to lean towards thinking the next 24 months, if it's going to happen in the next decade, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. You ready to roll this thing into halftime? Yeah, yeah, man. Let's go for it. All right. So uh, here's my take. I'm going to try to keep this one short. And we talked about um, Colorado before we jumped on here. So I'm going to, and this is for folks here in Colorado that are going to get this dialed in immediately, but I'm going to try to set the stage. So eastbound I-70, as you leave Summit County, which is Breckenridge, Copper, Keystone, all those places, you approach the Eisenhower Tunnel. And it's about a six or seven mile slow incline. And it is pretty congested. It's three lanes that go to two lanes in the tunnel. And on uh, Sunday afternoons, trying to get back to Denver, it can be a mess. And so um, I did that yesterday afternoon. It's sunny. It's the uh, summertime. You'd think things would be sweet and dandy, right? Uh, no, it was a absolute shit show being on that uh, on that climb. So. My goal here, Pete, is to talk about uh, a microcosm of what I saw going up there. So here's the deal. We're moving, come to a completely dead stop. The thing with that highway is there's no off ramp and there's no on ramp. When you're climbing, you're climbing, right? And you're climbing into a tunnel. So if there's something wrong in the tunnel, you don't know that. There's no way to get off. You're not turning around on the highway. So the uncertainty of what's going on in front of you at all times uh, is similar to to uh, to the to you know life in general. There is uncertainty in the world, and you got to come kind of deal with it. Sitting next to me was a couple of guys on on Harley's. One was a guy, and and he had a sidekick behind, and another woman. And the gal's uh, bike kept stalling out because she couldn't get it to go because it was just it creep a little bit, creep a little bit. So the one guy was just chewing her ass out, right? bike was stalling. They were bickering back and forth. And then all of a sudden, um, things start rolling and and they're laughing and they're talking to each other. So again, stuff can get difficult in life, um, but you come together and and, and you move forward. This one's kind of cool. A minivan full of of kids, classic family minivan. I'm uh, suspecting that a couple of kids had used the bathroom, right? We're at a dead stop on the highway, dead stop for 45 minutes. So they pull off to the side, they pull all these towels and blankets out on, on the side of the highway while their kids are going to the bathroom, right? So it was, you could tell the stress in the kids and, and the whole nine yards. It was, it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty crazy. And then people were stopped with their engines off. They just turned the car off and people were getting out of their cars and walking around and talking to each other, trying to figure out what's going on. So probably with some good intentions, but just not very safe. That's something that you could talk to my son about. Good intentions, but safety may be on the back burner. And then there was stalled semis. There was a truck carrying a trailer, carrying a boat that was stalled out. There was an accident up there. I think somebody tried to get out of the way. And so it was like this 
pinball machine up there, right? And so life is going to have challenges. You just have to navigate them. And um, it, it was it was crazy. And once things got started, there was this immense sense of of gratitude, at least for me, because I was freaking out. Like we got to get home. This is nuts. And there's the thing with me, Pete. There's no way off. You were there. You were have zero control of the situation. And even though we were creeping like three miles an hour, we were moving. And when we got to the tunnel and we got through it, the gratitude and the joy and the hope of being able to get home uh, was, was amazing. So a little long-winded today, Pete, but uh, that is my microcosm of being stuck on I-70, approaching the tunnel out of Summit County back to Denver. Did you see like a fiery crash when you finally got to where all the problems were? No, that's what makes it more more um, um, not challenging, confusing, because you get up there and you're like, where's the big hangout, right? It was just all these cars that were stalled out on the left, yeah. the middle, and the right. That's crazy. It was yeah. it was crazy. So yeah, I, I, that kind of traffic would probably have driven me to a point of rage I wouldn't have been comfortable sharing. Pretty and close. Pretty well, close. Uh, we neglected to mention All that right. this is halftime brought to you by Cap Logistics. For those of you who may have never watched it before and you're wondering why the show about global trade and logistics is talking about traffic, but this is the part where we just talk about things that are interesting. So um, my, my topic is a little different. I'm obsessed with a game called Ask the Internet, and it started with a web question series where they would interview people about Famous people generally, and they would ask them nonsensical questions that were asked by the internet. Mm -hmm. And over time, uh, this got turned into like a party game. So you could, you could ask these questions while you were drinking beer. So some of these questions are absurd and very entertaining. So Doug, here's a couple of them that I love asking people. Is cereal a soup? Yep. Did you answer that one? Do you want me to answer the, the question? The answer to that question is, is no, right. it's not. Um, I, I don't know. So I, I, I can't talk. I guess you can eat cereal without the milk. But if you have cereal with milk, I mean, uh, is, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? I think we've asked yeah. this question before, haven't we, Doug? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will also say that answer is, is no. taco a sandwich? Yeah. No. A sandwich is a sandwich. Okay. Would you would you rather have to fight a hundred duck sized horses or one horse sized duck? Mm. Uh, is no, neither I'm an option? You have to answer one or the other. Um, a horse-sized duck would be my See, I would go for the hundred duck-sized horses just because I think yeah, I would have an incredibly good time squashing all of them. I think that would be, even though those horses, you know, horses, when they fight, they're fierce, you know, but I think that would be more Conan the Barbarian of me, but I can see how one giant, like, that's an angry, ducks keep it angry, that's a big, angry dog. But anyway, um, I yeah. find these questions hysterical. And um, oh, if you had to pick one celebrity to be our representative to meet an alien race, who would it be? Do 
non-politician celebrity. Um, yeah. That's the a rock. great one. Yeah. I, he's on my list. I think The Rock, Nicole, I, I would say either The Rock, uh, Matthew McConaughey is another one I would send. Because I got a feeling he'd be like, he'd be pretty cool. I mean, yeah. he, first of all, he would get super high. He, he, would, he would get in the right mindset. But The Rock would be a good one as well. Um, I think those are those are great ones. I think Oprah would be another one. I think Oprah would probably keep it cool. Um, those are all fantastic. And then the the third one I love yeah, um, would be if if you had to either spend the rest of your life where wherever you walked there was a little person in front of you, like you could make it a child if you want, or actually like a little person who is always walking about three steps slower than you want to go. And no matter how you turn or where you go, they're always in front of you. All right? Your child, it could be an actual little person, a person shorter than you, whatever. Or whenever you walk up steps, at some point, you're going to miss a step and fall. Which one do you pick? Oh, the second one for sure. I couldn't stand having to zig and zag and deal with the no way. Fall up the stairs. You just don't take any stairs. Elevator, stay flat, stay grounded. Yeah. Second one, easy. I'm definitely doing the steps. Yeah, I, I'm a fast walker. I, I got places to go, man. Yeah. So yeah, ask the <laughs> internet. These are um, some of them are not safe for our show, um, but but for the most part, I find these fascinating. Um, just because I I want to know what moron thought them up. Yeah. So that's halftime from our mm. friends at Captain Justice. Yeah. If you are looking to do something. And looking for a great company who has the wherewithal and the kindness in their heart to continue to let us do this week after week. You should definitely be looking up our friends at Cap Logistics, CapLogistics.com. And with that, uh, we should be getting on to our second topic. So, Doug, what do you have for us? All right, this one's kind of short and sweet, but um, I was going to say, Pete, don't let the lull um, in the in the fuel prices. This is about fuel, right? So I was getting some, I was uh, filling up the other day from a phenomenal convenience store called Quick Trip. Just came to Colorado. Yep. Not sure if they have them out there, but love it. Grew up with them. Grew up with them. They're clean. I could go on and on about the benefits and the amazement that I have when I go to Quick Trip. And oh, by the way, 79 cent awesome. ice cream cones. Um, little side note. But I got there $3.95 here in Colorado to fill up, um, which is great. And initially, I was thinking, all right, summer driving season's over. We're getting back to school. Uh, that pressure point is starting to relieve, and and I think we're gonna we're gonna see this stuff stay under four bucks and continue to to, to decline. That's probably not going to happen because you need to look at the macro level. What I just described is the uh, micro level right in front of you, and how I use fuel. But the reality of it is that diesel runs the world. There's a lot that goes on in the fall. Um, a couple things is that, um, you know, we got harvest season coming up and yes, being from Texas and Kansas, we get that, but that is also a global process this time of year. And a lot of that's controlled and move, uh, using diesel. There's still the uncertainty of the natural gas pipeline, um, NORAD stream from, uh, from Russia underneath the Baltic Sea over to Germany. Um, and you can swap diesel out um, from doing a little bit of research this morning, not necessarily flip a switch, but diesel can supplement if that's an issue. And then, uh, oh, by the way, winter is coming. Um, and although it may not be uh, 
catastrophic out here in Colorado with our warm sunshine. But winter's a big deal all over the, uh, the world. And a lot of those things I just described are supported and propped up with diesel fuel. So the gas uh, might be coming down a schmid, but all the indirect um, implications you have on what you and I eat, how we move and what we use, that is not directly put into our car or truck, uh, is not going away anytime soon. So buckle up, boys. The road trips may be over, but that does not mean that diesel fuel is going to be dropping down anytime yeah, well, soon. First of all, Doug, I will see your quick trip and I will raise you a Bucky's. Bucky's in Texas is uh, just all inspiring. Uh, and then second of all, um, mm, I'm, all right. I agree Fair with enough. you. Crude oil is a, uh, it's a resource that there's only so much you can make from it. And right now, it, 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 you're just not going to make as much from it. Diesel is going to remain a quantity of, of something that you're going to make less of it. It's just going to be more profitable. They're going to make more uh, money off the gas, diesel fuel, jet fuel. So when they do make diesel, they're going to expect to make a higher profit out of it. Also, moving it. Logistically, you mentioned this before. It costs a lot of money to use it. So they're going to make the money off of it when they get it there. And it's, it's just going to stay expensive. So, um, what was us, man? This is not, it's, it's, it's simple mathematics. It's been a simple equation now for 20 something years. And, um, it's one of those price, inflationary price pressures that has more to do with the use case than it does with how it's being used. Just telling you, man, we're going to pay a lot of money on this thing for a while, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't see any pressure getting away from it. Gasoline is one thing, uh, but this is going to hurt for a while. Yeah, good, good, good. All right, yes. take us home, my it's man. What's your topic, too? So, um, you know, I was reading a report that came in from our folks over in Asia this week at work, and they were talking about the increased number of blank sailings and just, just how many of them there are. When we say blank sailings, we're, we're talking about how there are entire swaths or complete voyages that are being written off of the sailing schedule by ocean carriers. And this is largely done in order to impact cost. So you'll have ocean carriers who will just say, we're, just, we're simply going to cancel one of our voyages, cancel one of our sailings between these ports in order to constrain capacity, in order to save money. When they notice that volumes have gone down, like any other business, they're going to keep the number of um, slots closed by just taking a ship out of service for this one particular route. And in doing so, again, they're not idiots. What that does is it constrains capacity and it makes the remaining capacity more valuable. So you're able to keep the price prices pretty consistent. Um, at the same time, it also means that you have capacity that you pay for that you're not using. So there is a trade-off. What's frustrating to those of us that are shippers, though, is it means that we have inconsistent amounts of capacity. When we're expecting to use it from one place to another, it's not there for us. We can be frustrated. So we expected to have it for certain calendar times, and these carriers have been consistent for years on when we're going to have it, particularly now, when every available piece of capacity is being used because of the fact that we're making money off of it. We look, however, at the... Um, you know, the guidance that's being done on profitability from these large ocean carriers. And you notice, they're still making lots and lots of money. So don't let the, um, the downward forces of price confuse you. These carriers are still doing quite well. And as long as that's the case, they will continue to fiddle with capacity. These blank sailings will continue. Um, 
I think over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin to see exactly what's left in them between now and the force of the end of the year. This is uh, the last of what we're going to see of them with their levers. Uh, I, I firmly believe that 2023 is going to be the return to quote-unquote normal. Normal, however, not being $1,500 box rates. I think if we ever see them go below $5,000 to the West Coast, that will be a real, a real change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good tie-in for uh, the prediction show we'll be cranking out here in a couple of months. But yeah, you know what? Who it, it's mm-hmm. who controls the power, right? Who maintains control? And by having blank sailings, you keep a little uncertainty, you create a little bit of havoc, sure. and whoever has the control wins. And we're seeing that with the profit margins. You know, who, the profit margins these these uh, steamship lines are having. So you know what? You, you keep the uh, the demand, uh, like you said, become more valuable. And um, who has control is going to win. And they have control on moving things from one continent to the other. And uh, they can manipulate, spin it however they want. They will maintain the control. Uh, and they're flexing to show that. So um, can't blame them. It, uh, you know, it's not it's be interesting. a larger scale version of an owner operator who decides to stay off the road, stay on the road based on cost and profitability. It's just doing it on a much larger scale. When you own the means of conveyance, you can make those decisions. And a ship only makes money when it's falling down. So uh, you can see why they do what they do. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And that'll also do it for uh, for this week's show of Global Trade This Week. Uh, it's brought to you by Cap Logistics. We've mentioned that. We always say keen behind the scenes, pushing the buttons. You and I wouldn't be talking. We wouldn't bring in this great commentary uh, to the world if they weren't involved. So please visit caplogistics.com. They will take care of you on your supply chain logistic needs. So that's it. Um, I don't know what else to say, Pete, other than have an awesome week. And we'll look forward to seeing you and the audience uh, in seven days. All right, man. Take care.